Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everyone and welcome along to your Wednesday edition of the TII podcast. My name is Craig Dennett and I almost called it the Monday edition. I'm so used to being on that day of the week. Uh, my name is Craig Dennett and I'm your host this evening. I'm joined by fellow host Ross Chalmers. How are you doing today, Ross? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's, um, it's weird not having the World Cup on, to be honest, as I've been all over the place today. I'm usually used to it coming on at three o'clock or seven o'clock at night. So other than that, yeah, I'm all good. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the World Cup's taken over many of our lives over the past couple of weeks. And uh, the first day that it um, that it's not on, it feels a bit weird. Um, it's actually felt quite a long day today, I think, partly because of that. But um, on to the quarterfinals, we go from Friday, I guess, and some cracking games in there as well. Um, even though the World Cup's on, that doesn't mean life or the news at Rangers stops. And uh, yesterday was no different, Ross, I, I don't think. Um, especially when it comes to AGM Day. Now, there's always a big build-up to AGM Day and all these crazy questions that are going to be asked of the board and how they're going to be held to account never quite works out that way. They, it's always quite a sanitised version of of what they could be asked. Um, I think there were a few a few points that weren't asked that we'll come on to. Um, but I will. I think what we'll do, Ross, just to get, get it started anyway is Let's kind of run through some of the key points from the Q&A question, give our thoughts on them. We'll then come on to, I've seen Ryan Porteous mentioned in the comments already, we'll come on to um, we'll come on to the potential Ryan Porteous rumours that I laughed about two weeks ago and now might well come true. Um, so, um, so yeah, we'll come on to that as well and we'll start to look ahead, obviously, the Barrow Leverkusen friendly coming up this Saturday and then into into what is a big first game already against Hibs next, next Thursday, which I can't quite believe is next Thursday. Haven't quite really computed the fact that Rangers are going to be back in a week and a day, but um, hopefully it's in much happier ways than it ended beforehand. Um, Ross, just first of all, 
your overall view of the AGM, was there any major shocks in there for you? Was it kind of as expected? It seemed to be quite easy for the board to, to bat off some of the some of the questions and maybe some of the harder hitting questions or the more investigative questions probably best to put it um, weren't asked no no surprises for me to be honest with you i think an agm always gets the kind of big build up and a lot of people believe that you know there's going to be a lot of pressure on these board members but it never really turns out that way it's always the, the build ups much more than what actually happens at these things so no 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 real surprises for me i think we didn't really learn anything different in terms of the finances of the club they've obviously put on a, a really good presentation to show the kind of figures behind everything that they've done in the last year and really wanted to stress, you know, that it would look positive next year as well. I, I thought maybe comments that, um, around the kind of auditors feeling that we aren't at risk anymore, which is fantastic. I know when the results aren't going your way in the field, you don't really care about these things, but that is really good for us as a club. So overall, no real surprises for me. I, I'm certainly not surprised that some of the scrutiny that Ross Wilson came under he seemed to get a barrage of it yesterday, and yeah, again, that he, he did not look happy either, did he? he did no, no, like he, was, he did not look like he was enjoying it, or that he, he thought he merited it. And we'll come on to some of that as well as we were kind of run through the key points. But he was not, he was not impressed in the slightest. Yeah, I think he, he, he looked like someone that really didn't want to be there when those questions started, and uh, obviously, there's been a there's been some like suggestions that he was kind of brushing things off and not really answering the question. and I think that's true, but I just I wonder what his state of mind was in that scenario where you're really pressed into a corner. So, yeah, no no surprises for me. Um, really good to see the the disabled facilities getting note this year. I thought I, I thought it was interesting when that news was released the other night. That obviously came out right before the AGM. That's very timely. But very timely. But credit to the board. This is something that a lot of fans have wanted to see for a long time. I know that was one of their main agendas from last year, the AGM. So it's good to see these things being brought forward because the disabled facilities at the moment are, are really poor. They're just not acceptable at all. So it's really good to see as the club. Um, I, I've had a wee look at the plans and they look really good. So that's the main takeaways for me. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's get fired into some of the questions and and give our thoughts on on the responses we got and if they were kind of adequate or if we expected more from them. Um, first question is a question I've heard people ask in the stands, but I didn't really, it never really occurred to me that that was an issue. I guess it was probably digging deeper into the whole relationship between Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and Ross Wilson and who was actually making the, the decision. So the first question was why no Dutch signings during Gio's spill? Now, it didn't really occur to me that that was an issue. I've heard a few people mention it here and there, but it never really occurred to me that was an issue. I think the one that we all heard was Joe Avierman. I think he was the one that, that we all spoke about and that we were all keen to to get. And we saw his quality, I guess, again, when he was playing for PSV against us. But we did beat PSV, so then what does that then say about that as well? Um, I guess the answer from the board was that uh, Ross Wilson, I think it was the answer, that the manager has the final say, Gio had the final say on every player. Uh, one Dutch player who we agreed terms with in the summer, um, but he chose somewhere else, who I imagine probably was Joey Veerman, but we're never going to get confirmation on that. Is it? Did that occur to you at all um, during Gio's spell that we hadn't signed a Dutch player or that it was an issue? I'm the same with you on this one. This is going to sound harsh, but I hate when I hear this. Honestly, I can't stand it because... 
I can understand the the question around recruitment and maybe the individual that asked the question yesterday maybe just worded it in a way that maybe came across bad. Well, to me anyway, I, I, I didn't think it was a great question, but he's maybe trying to ask about the recruitment strategy and he's maybe trying to get at, does the manager get the final say? And that is a perfectly valid question. It's a fair one. And I think we found out yesterday that it, it, is a, it is the recruitment team that, that brings the players to the table and the manager gets the final say. Now, I know a lot of people don't agree with that and they feel Ross Wilson had a, has a bearing in that and that's okay, but he obviously came out yesterday to defend himself on that and claims that, which I thought was quite weird when he referred to himself in the third person, saying Ross Wilson doesn't sign the players. But this this narrative that because Van Bronckhorst was Dutch that we, we, didn't sign any, we didn't sign any Dutch players, therefore he can't be signing these players. He has no say. And I just don't subscribe to it at all. If, if our recruitment strategy was purely based on the manager, then we have a problem. We The recruitment strategy has to be bigger than the manager. The manager has to have a big say in the recruitment, but it, it needs to be bigger than just the manager. It needs to be the club. So the narrative here that because we didn't sign any Dutch players, it just means that Van Bronckhorst was being given players and he didn't have any say in them. I just I just don't subscribe to it at all. I just think it's false. So again, it was one of those, I mean, it was the first question and that baffled me in itself that that was the first question put to this board around not signing Dutch players. And I may be sounding a bit harsh here, but that just for me, I just don't think, I just don't think that was the start of the AGM. I think there was more pressing things to ask about. And the recruitment strategy itself it's well up for debate right now. And that is a perfectly valid question. No problem with that asking about the recruitment strategy and who signs these players. What is it that goes into this process? That's fine. But as for, oh, we didn't sign any Dutch players. Yeah, I just can't get on board with that. It's just, I don't have any time for that. Yeah, I think I think your point on um, being baffled by that being the first question, I think people kind of assume that there's some sort of everyone, all the questions are collated and then the best ones kind of get put to the board and that's absolutely not how how it works. Um, but maybe it should be how it works if we had a fans group that could all agree with each other and could all get along, but that doesn't really work either um, for Rangers. So I guess um, we're stuck with us how it is um, and the questions asked are the questions asked. There are a few other strange ones in there. Some guy wants in the Albion car park every, every home game and he wants to know how he can get in. And uh, some guys raging that he didn't get a ticket for Hamden for the Aberdeen semi-final, which um, fellow podder Kyle hasn't got a ticket as yet for the Aberdeen semi-final because he didn't tick the right box. So, But that's probably his own fault for that one rather than Rangers' fault. Um, the next one, actually, I thought was quite a good question. Um, just asking around a five-year plan for the club. I thought this opened up a lot um, and allowed would, allow, would have allowed the board to give us a real insight into not a I didn't want a detailed 150-slide presentation on what there's going to be for the next five years and here's how we're going to do it and here's how we're going to win the league for the next five years and win the treble a couple of times. I didn't want, that's not what I wanted. I just wanted a wee insight into we're going to try this, we're going to try that, we're going to focus on this area, we're going to focus on that area. And the answer we got was win as many trophies as we can. Now, I think I could have, I could have told you that. That's not the answer I wanted. I wanted some insight into that. Um, and it was interesting that they chose that point as well to have a bit of a dig at Club 1872, saying that the board didn't have a problem with Club 1872, but admitted it's quite the problem. Well, if you don't have a problem with them, then why is that a problem at all? Um, but anyway, um, and the fact that it could be resolved by Club 1872 signing NDA. Now, the reason they're not going to do that is probably because of how much Dave King is involved or appears to be involved with Club 1872. 
And the only weapon that they have of getting the Rangers support on side is through the media and through public the court of public opinion. They do not if they go into a private room with with Douglas Park or Stuart Robertson or whoever to discuss all this stuff, all all it takes is for Stuart Robertson to come out and say, Yeah, had a great meeting with them, we'll try and action some points and see you later. Um and that's not what Club eighteen seventy two want and it's not what Dave King wants or what they appear to want. Um so I think that's probably where the, the sticking point is. But it was interesting, Ross, that they just completely came out and a completely non-related question. They completely came out and put the ball very much back in Club 1872's court. Yeah, I think it, you're right to bring up that it was a bit of a weird time to talk about it. But I think it was something they just wanted to get out there and they probably didn't know when the best time was to, to announce their view on it. I totally agree with everything you were saying there. And when it comes to the the NDA, they're they're not going to want to sign that. They're going to want to publicise things that are talked about in these meetings, especially when there's conflict there. So I can see both sides of this. This is the problem in these scenarios that you're going to have to find a middle ground and that's going to be very difficult, I think. As for the, the five-year plan, I have to agree with you that it would be nice to hear more about the... The, you know, the internal plans for the club going forward, maybe around facilities, maybe around the academy, maybe some of the goals they have in terms of the club and what they'd like to achieve. And that's not necessarily just winning games and winning trophies. It's, you know, can we develop these players? Can we, you know, I would, I would like to hear a bit more detail. I will give a, I'll give a wee bit of slack that it's probably a difficult question to get on the spot if you've not really had time to think about how you would structure it. That doesn't mean that, I wouldn't expect a better answer than that, to be honest with you, but it, it probably is a difficult question to to answer. But these are the things that are going to be scrutinised for, I suppose. So, yeah, I was a wee bit disappointed with that. I thought that was a good opportunity to, to hear a wee bit more about the club and the internal plans because we don't really know a lot that goes on behind the club at the moment. We don't feel there's enough transparency. We don't we don't get enough. And, and that comes down to, again, comes back to Ross Wilson. People don't really understand his role and what he's doing behind the scenes. But Stuart Robertson sat yesterday and was you know, adamant that the club has came on leaps and bounds since Ross Wilson came here. They're miles ahead of where they were. I think that was where he, what he said. So that's all well and good, but we'd like to hear about how he's done that because we don't get enough of that. And that would that would help take a wee bit of the, the scrutiny off of Ross Wilson if we could really understand his role. But we just don't get enough of it. And yeah, I, I think you're right to bring that up. You know, the whole, yeah, we'll just, the, the plan is to, to win, keep putting money in. Well, okay, we, we probably could have told you that before we answer the question. So, yeah, is that, it was a bit redundant, that one. But listen, I can understand. It's a difficult question to answer in a scenario like that, but yeah, a wee bit more detail would have been good there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll just jump out a wee bit now because you touched on one of the topics. Um, there, um, one of the main questions that was asked um, and I think was actually applauded in the room was, does the board firmly believe Ross Wilson is the man uh, for recruitment and the man to lead this club forward on that side of things? Stuart Robertson instantly said yes and he basically just shut it down with I think you underestimate how much work goes into the football side of uh, the football department of this football club and I think we've all thought that we probably don't get that insight like you say it's not for what I want of trying it's because the board don't give us that insight isn't it and it's because we don't we don't see the you don't want to see Ross Wilson's job description, but you want to see like he looks after this and he looks after that and he looks after this. And that's if, if they give everyone that understanding, it almost quashes all of these rumours or as I guess, as I guess they see it, the unwarranted criticism that that comes his way. 
Yeah, I mean, the director of football tag or the sporting director tag is it's probably a very different job depending on what club you're at. So it would be good to get a better understanding of what Ross Wilson's day-to-day is because I don't think we get enough of that. And this is where the criticism comes because most fans look at the results on the pitch, right? And that is always going to be the case. That is never going to change. People only really care about the the background when things are are going really well. And if they're going badly, it'll just scrutinise everything. The scattergun comes out. And listen, I'm, I'm part of that as much as anyone. I'm terrible for that as well. So it would be good to get more of an understanding of, yeah, Ross Wilson's role. I think that, like I said before, would take a wee bit of the heat off him if we could really understand what he does. But we don't get that right now. And all we hear about is Ross Wilson is massive for this club. He's taking us on leaps and bounds. So that that's fine. But give us a wee bit more information. You know, I feel like I defend Ross Wilson all the time, to be honest with you. I, I feel like I'm brought on this podcast to just defend Ross Wilson. And look, even I was a wee bit frustrated yesterday with some of Ross Wilson's answers. I didn't feel he, he really tackled it enough. But I don't think he's helped by the board in that regard. I just don't, everything, it, it's like it's a big secret. And I understand, of course, you can't detail everything to the world, right? You can't publicise everything that Rangers are doing behind the scenes. But just a wee bit more information, a wee bit more transparency. We thought we were going to get that with the the kind of interview we had, was it a couple of months ago with John Bennett? But nothing's really came from it. So, yeah, I, I think you're right there. Just a wee bit more look behind the scenes to see what's going on would, would help the fans accept when think They won't accept it. That's the wrong term. They'll never accept it. But there's maybe a wee bit of a more understanding when, when things are going wrong and, and we can see the progress in the background. But yeah, we just don't get enough of that right now. Yeah, I'm just going to pull this up because the trying Scotsman has just been extremely harsh. Um, but I think it's the lighting that's, that's doing it. So I'm absolutely taking it. I mean, if, I'll take his teeth if, if I can get his money. Um, so we'll put it that way. If, if I get Jurgen Klopp's bank account, I will happily take Jurgen Klopp's teeth. So um, thanks very much for that one. Um I, I think about earlier, I'm just scrolling back through the comments because I lost it there. Um, Graham Brown said, surely every shareholder has a right to ask a question. I think every shareholder does have a right to ask a question, but Ross, if I'm right, and you might not know this either, so I might be completely throwing you under the bus here, but um, I, I assume that they have to submit the questions in advance and then 15 questions or 20 questions are selected and that's how that works. See, I, I don't actually know this for sure. I, I'm sure I read yesterday that there's actually two microphones at the side and people okay. queue to question. Now, I might be completely wrong there, and if I am, someone can tell me that, that's fine, but I'm sure that's what I read yesterday. So it looks like these questions aren't being looked at before. Now, there's a good and a bad side of that, of course, right? You'd maybe want to cut some things out that you don't think are appropriate. And I know there was a question yesterday regarding the kind of COVID measures from the club that I don't actually think they answered. I think they just moved on from it, and there's there is a risk that these things are going to happen. Um, but if you give the board the questions beforehand, they can pre-plan things. It's not authentic. So I can see both sides of that. I, but I'm pretty sure that they just queue up for the microphone. I, I think that I think that's how it works. Now, if someone in the comment section can correct me on that, I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong. But I, I'm sure I read that yesterday, which which is very interesting because I didn't expect it to be that way. I I thought it would be the way that that you were suggesting there that people have to submit their question. They essentially have yeah. to get looked at before it gets put to the board. Yeah, but. I can see both sides of that. Yeah, absolutely. We've got Andrew Quillen coming in there in the comments saying there were, there were three mics um, there and people had to queue to ask a question, which I, I suppose, like you say, contributes to the authenticity of it and the fact that the board have uh, the board can be held to account in that way. 
Um, I think it's a very sanitised version of holding the board to account. Um, but at the same time, anyone can ask a question about anything they want, whether it's um, how hot the pies are, whether it's if you want onions on your hot dog, you want a, a um, car parking space in Albion car park, or you want Ross Wilson sacked. Any of the above can all be fine. Um, so, as we saw yesterday, um, Ross, I, I, I hesitated to call you Rosser because I was thinking Ross Wilson in my head. Um, one of the same. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the current injury situation was covered. Um, they just said, being a real concern, positive to see players coming back, but don't want to rush them So um, to make sure that, that we can play them consistently when they can. I think that's um, I think that's absolutely fair. That's fine. There was a bit of a financial question about John Bennett and Julian Wohart's loans. Um, I think basically 500k of uh, John Bennett's original £8 million loans being converted into equity. Um He's increased his commitment to the club by offering a £10 million overdraft facility. So he's committed £23 million worth of investment to the club so far, which I think has to be applauded. And I know he got a lot of stick for his interview um, that he did with Rangers TV. Um, but I think he's someone that I, that I always listen to, I guess. And I think he always speaks well. And you can tell that he's passionate for the club, can't he? Yeah, I always get that impression from John Bennett when I listen to him, to be honest, that you can tell he, he does have Rangers at heart and he does speak very well. Now, that doesn't mean that everything he says is correct, but you do buy into what he's saying. Even with his last interview, there was a few things, obviously, there was the kind of best-in-class comment, which a lot of people have held against him recently, and that's fair. But at the time you did buy into it, you were feeling like he really does care. And of course, committing that amount of money to the club is fantastic, giving us that overdraft facility. I will not pretend that I'm a financial expert on this podcast. I never will. But having an understanding that transferring to, to equity is good and, and he was buying more shares, that's fantastic to see. So, yeah, listen, John Bennett, is he deserves criticism like most of that board, to be honest with you right now. That's always going to be the case when he's representing Rangers and he's on the board. But of course, he has to be applauded for that amount of money. And, 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 you know, these guys were here when we were really struggling. They were putting the money in when we were, you know, recording huge losses. You know, we're now at that stage where we're not recording huge losses anymore. And, and he is a massive part of that. So, of course, he, he deserves a lot of praise for that. Yeah, absolutely. Back onto the plain side, because neither of us are financial experts over here. Um, so back onto the plain side. There was a question, actually, which I thought was quite interesting around... Have we seen enough of a return from the summer signings? Um, I think, in effect, the answer was no. I think that was this, the, this very, very short summary that uh, that, that we saw. said, um, disappointed in return from the whole squad, not just the seven players that we signed. Um, but they have a lot of belief in the squad. I thought it was interesting that they were so forthright with that. Now, I think it was, it was in the backdrop of we're currently second. We didn't perform in the Champions League. I think it's on that backdrop and they, they will have understood and had a temperature check of fan feeling before that, um, before the AGM. So they will have understood where to play their cards there, I guess um, it's fair to say. But I thought it was interesting that they were so forthright with, with that no and that they actually they brought the whole squad into it. I suppose they, they wouldn't want to isolate the new signings, but they did bring the whole squad into it. Yeah, I think they just have to be honest in this scenario, don't they, that Clearly, they haven't had enough of a return from the from the last recruitment window or the transfer window. So, 
yeah, it's a difficult one for them because they probably wanted to follow Alvo a bit, but you can't. It's just one of those that you've got just got to accept the situation with the squad at the moment. And we just have to look at getting the best out of these guys going forward. I know that we've signed these guys on long contracts, you know, Ridvan Yilmaz, Ravi Matondo. There is time for these guys to turn things around, but listen, when you play for a club like Rangers, most of the time you need to come in and you need to hit the ground running and these guys haven't, and, and too many of them haven't. And then we've also been unlucky in scenarios with Tom Lawrence, who looked like he was getting up to speed. He's injured. Um, ben Davies, he's been struggling with injury the majority of the time. And then, yeah, Obviously, Antonio Cholat has been fantastic, but there's just not been enough of a return there. They can't get away from that. They just have to accept that right now. And look, it's why they've made this managerial change, in my opinion. They clearly believe that this squad isn't completely broken and we can get more of these guys. So, yeah, there was a big emphasis again on, on Michael Beale yesterday and he spoke really well. So, yeah, just... It's the realisation from the board, isn't it? They've just got to accept where we are right now and they've just got to take the criticism on board. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another interesting point that came up was the uh, the thinking behind the pricing for the Champions League match pick package. Um, Stuart Robertson's answer was very um, was very interesting. He kind of went round the houses a wee bit and then said, we landed on the numbers we landed on. Each game was sold out. So I think that was his way of saying, well, we didn't price it wrong because everyone bought all the tickets. So we, I think that was that was how we know that this was, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the Rangers fans know this as well. Like it, it, both sides understand the scenario here. It doesn't matter what the price is going to be, really, right? Rangers fans are going to pay it. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of oh, we'll just make it anything because the Rangers. No, that's that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the the board have an understanding that the demand is always going to be there, right? So they can get away with with charging these prices. And yeah, I think he did say that we landed on the the high end of the scale. So they'll understand it. But yeah, his comments yesterday were basically saying, I said, fans are going to continue to pay it. So we're going to continue to take chances like this. We're going to take risks. We're going to try and maximize profits wherever they can. As a fan, especially with the current crisis 11, you know, it's difficult to accept that the club doesn't help us in any way. You know, it has been a long run back to that Champions League to be charged the top price for that was difficult to take at the time before a ball was even kicked. And then to to have those performances through that Champions League run, it's even worse now. You know, you're sitting there and you're asking that question, why, like, how, how can you justify it? You can't really, you can't justify it. It's just pretty much the fans will pay it and we decided to go to the high end. Now, I don't know if you're going to come on to this, so I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun, but he, he tried to highlight the kind of revenue difference between Rangers, you know, in that Europa League run all the way to the final, they made around 87 million or something in revenue. And then he highlighted Norwich, who finished bottom of the Premier League last year and made 134 million in revenue. I mean, it, I can totally understand the board's point of view. They're trying to close the gap wherever they can and they will continue to do so when we're in this market. We just can't compete with the Premier League and we need to try and close the, the gap between the top European sides in some way. But yeah, it's difficult to take as a fan when... Yeah, you know that the club probably didn't have to charge those prices based on the, the financial report that we've just seen from the last year. And we know that it's going to be healthy in the, in the year coming as well. That's difficult to accept. But you're so right. Stuart Robinson, he's kind of been honest there. He's just like, listen, we know that the fans will pay it. And that's a risk we take. We just try and maximise wherever we can. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few comments here saying... Um, 
One saying that they, they don't care what, what the fans think, and everyone from prime time here saying, think going forward, it will always be on the high end of the scale. I think we all expect it to be on the high end of the scale because we know we are um, we are starting behind the eight ball anyway when it comes to European football and trying to compete. So we have to try and maximise every, every single way we can. I think seeing the difference between our three-match package and what fans across the city were, were being asked to pay was quite galling um, for some people. I think, um, I think the fact that it all had to be paid up front was also quite galling. I think the club then changed that to you could pay. It was taken out in three instalments or whatever across across three months or whatever. But um, I think I think ultimately we know we're going to be charged the highest possible amount and. I don't think I don't personally think that's going to change going forward. I don't know if you think differently, Ross. No, I don't think differently. And I, I think that comment earlier saying that they don't care about the fans' opinion. I mean that that's a perfectly fair comment because clearly the outrage from the fans at the time didn't have any bearing on anything. And the comments that Stuart Robinson said yesterday just basically highlight that they understand the scenario. They understand that the fans are going to be outraged, but at the end of the day, you know it's their job to try and maximise profits for the club and they have to look at the club as a business. So, yeah, I don't see this changing, especially with the the money that is in European football at the moment. It just continues to rise um, out with Scotland. We seem to be the only league that seems to continue to suffer. Every other league seems to have more money flowing through it. Transfer fees are record highs. So until that gap closes... I'm not sure how it does, but until it closes, we're just going to continue to be on the high end end of the scale, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're about half an hour in now. We'll round off the um, AGM talk with two topics, which I think were were quite quite legitimately discussed in questions yesterday. Um, I thought the answers were quite interesting as well. Ross, first one I want to um, touch on is the, the answer around... Alfredo Morelos and Ryan Kent's contracts being run down um, or not being run down, but being allowed to continue without them having renewed or without them um, being sold in the summer. Now, I thought the, ans- the answer to that was in- was interesting because quite clearly the board have been trying to renew their contracts. They've just reached a stage of negotiation where they can't, they're not willing to go any higher in terms of wages for the two players. And the two players are standing firm at whatever wages they are asking for and they're now at a bit of an impasse where we can't go any higher and, and they, they need to come down if they want to stay with us now there's been a lot of talks since Michael Beale came back that particularly Ryan Kent might be more willing to stay I don't think there's that much smoke without fire um, on that one there's been in the meantime there's been absolutely nothing about Alfredo Morelos coming out um, what do you think of how that situation has kind of unraveled? There was obviously it was pointed as well um, out that it's probably probably quite similar to Connor Goldson's situation was last year. Um, what's your thoughts on that situation overall? Um, do you think how do you think it's been handled by the board following that answer, and how um, how do you see it kind of unfolding over the next six months or so? I, I can't really criticise the board in this one. Now that might sound a bit ridiculous, but I can understand where they're coming from. If the players and their agents are not willing to sign the contract, then there's not really much they can do. They've also spoke about that not having, you know, I was going to say respectable buyers there, but respectable bids coming in for the player that they feel they can move them on. 
I think they spoke about having one bid for each player, but it was last summer, I believe, or it might have been the last couple of years since we won the title. I, I can't remember. Um, so I can understand their point of view. There, there is going to be a budget there. They're not going to break the wage structure. Ross Wilson spoke about that a lot of times. And this is very familiar to yeah what we heard about Connor Goldson last year. And I firmly believe that Rangers did not change their offer for Connor Goldson. I think Connor Goldson sat on that contract for a few months, really trying to debate whether he wanted to stay at Rangers or not. Now, a lot of people can debate that. Was he waiting for a better move to come along and it didn't? Or was that about family reasons? Of course, he spoke about family reasons. And I think this comes into it as well with the two players. Alfredo Morelos and Ryan Kent are not Rangers fans. You know, they, they, they're not going to have the same connection with the club that we do. And if they don't feel if they feel that they're not being paid appropriately based on their role in this squad, then they're well entitled to not sign that contract. And and fair play to them, I can understand it. And at the same time, I think it's good from the board that they're not willing to just do whatever it takes to sign these players. If they don't feel that they've justified the salary or the whatever they're looking for in that contract, then don't give them it. And that's exactly how it should be. You know, the club is bigger than the players, and that's the way it should continue to be. As for the the players individually. Ryan Kent for me is someone that I would listen, you never know the the inner workings of these contracts, right? And the terms on offer. But if he's looking for improved terms and they aren't ridiculous, and let's hope that they don't break the wage structure, I would be giving Ryan Kent the contract. I, I think it comes down to Ryan Kent really feeling like he wants to stay here longer. And if he feels it's time for a fresh challenge. And I can understand that from his point of view, but I'd like to feel that Michael Wheel can get the best out of him. He'd like to stay on again, sign that contract. There's no reason why he can't move on eventually. I think, I think, it's, I think the counter-argument to Ryan Kent is, look at the form he's shown so far this season. Um, look at the form he showed so far, basically towards the end of last season as well. Outside of the yeah. European games, he did not contribute very much at all. Um, I guess one of the arguments against my own argument against it is that um, he wasn't playing in a system or a style that suited how he likes to play. Um, and there's also the, the the contention, I guess, that players are doubling or tripling up on him, so it's freeing up players elsewhere in the pitch. We're just not taking advantage of it. So there's a lot that kind of goes into the Ryan Kent one. I, for one, was I think it was after the Livingston game, I was just like, the, the draw at Ibrox, I was just like, no, it's... It's done. It's, it's time for him to go, and that's that. I, I remain willing to be proven wrong, but not having switched my opinion as yet on that one. I can totally understand that point of view as well, and I think the criticism of Ryan Kent lately is fair. He's clearly not delivering to the level that we expect him to, and he's probably a victim of his own success in a Rangers shirt, that he's just not living up to the expectations that he's built over the years. I still think you have to, and this is probably the way the club look at, look at it, he is an asset. You know, it will be difficult to accept for the club if they let him move on. Of course, he's given us a lot um, and and he's delivered a lot for us when he's been here in terms of his individual performances in certain games. And it's not all been bad for Ryan Kent. I know he's in a poor run of form at the moment, but it really hasn't all been bad. He's been poor the, the first half of the season. So I can understand them really wanting to tie Ryan Kent down because he's an asset. And I, I firmly do believe that you could move Ryan Kent on for a substantial fee. Is he showing enough right now? No, but of course, there's a risk in every single move in football. There's always a risk in giving someone a contract. And there's no reason to say that if Ryan Kent signed a contract a year ago or two years ago, he wouldn't be in poor form right now. You know, it's not irrelevant, of course, but I can understand fans feeling like he doesn't deserve the the salary increase or 
the terms improved, and that's fine. That's totally acceptable. But I can understand the board's point of view that they're trying to tie these guys down to make profit out of them. Ryan Kent is the one that I would try and keep. I would probably do everything I could. Alfredo Morelos, for me, time to move on. Just let him go now. I, I really, I, I hope that the things that they've spoke about yesterday, really, with in ter- terms of, and they spoke about it the last couple of days in terms of there's, there's personal situations with the players. It's, they have different situations, and that, let's be honest. There's more to life in football. I'm sure there's personal situations that come into it with these two players. But Alfredo Morelos has not delivered really this season, um, or he's definitely not delivered this season. I would imagine he's one of the highest paid players at the club. And I just think for him to sign on again, I would imagine he will want the same terms or improved. I just think it's too big of a risk from the club. I think it's just time to move him on. I think it's just time to say thanks, Alfredo, for everything. But we're going to move on now. I'm going to try and use that salary in a better way. Um, that, that's my view on the two players. As for the original question in terms of how I feel, how the board have approached it, listen, I can see both sides. I can see the fans' frustration of, oh, you've let these guys run their contracts down and we're all going to make any money out of them. Totally fair. That's fine as well. But I can understand the board's point of view. If, the, if their agents and the players are not willing to sign the contract and they don't have someone coming in with a bid that they feel is... I criticise the club a lot for this, that they don't take acceptable bids and it's more about exceptional bids. That's maybe a kind of approach that we need to change as a club and that when we're making a profit on someone, it's probably just time to sell them. But we we clearly look for the exceptional. You can see that with Calvin Bassey, right? We sold him for an exceptional figure. We probably need to change that. But if, if clubs aren't coming in for our players, what can we do? What can the board do if they won't sign a contract and no one's willing to buy them? You've just got to let the, the player run, run his contract down and take a risk at the end of the day. It's difficult. I can see both sides. Yeah, and I think it's time for you to retire from doing podcasts altogether because you finally managed to get someone to agree with you. Um, Teddy Bears. Teddy Bears, thanks very much. Thank you, appreciate it. Um, And I think the the trying Scotsman's got a fair point as well, I think, as to whether or which one, if any, will be offered a new contract and will a bit of extra effort will be pushed on to that and that's that the the outlay we had for Ryan Kent was obviously seven million pounds there or thereabouts whereas the outlay we had for Alfredo Morelos was one million pounds and I think it's safe to say we've definitely had one million pounds worth of value had about ten yeah. million pounds worth of value throughout of that Alfredo Morelos transfer absolutely um, if, if if Alfredo Morelos moves on for a free it's it's still fantastic business from Rangers. They they bought him for a million and the amount of goals he scored in big games, it's still really good business. I know it won't be looked upon that way because that build bid came in from Leo a couple of years ago and it was 16 million and you look at that figure now and, and I remember the time fans, and I was as well, I was like, don't accept that. He's worth way more than that. So we can't look back in hindsight and go, oh, we should have sold him for 60 million. No, Morello stayed and he delivered the big games for us and he was a massive contribution to us winning that league title. And he was massive in the Europa League run, of course, he got injured in the quarterfinals. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's just, yeah, it's time to move him on. But in terms overall, is business from the club? Really good business for Alfredo Morelos, regardless of whether he moves on this summer or in January or he signs a contract. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll round off the, um, the AGM chat there. Um, I was going to talk about my jars, but I think we can still have a full hour podcast on my jars. Um, the away ticket thing isn't going away. Um, I know from my personal experience, I've had one away ticket in two seasons. Um, so I don't think the uh, are you the same, Ross? Are you? I'm the same. I'm the uh, same. I get one from Motherwell, and that was it. I was so, yeah, it's been... 
as we up to Dundee for my one, so yeah. um, for my sins. So, um, so yeah, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. And I don't think the club are actually looking at any. Going by the answer yesterday, I don't think they're actually looking at any other um, method or or system for that to happen either. So I think we're stuck with what it is, and um, we kind of have to um, shut up about it. I think pretty much is what the board said. I don't think anyone will, but I think that was kind of what the board said for us to do. Anyway, on to the much less controversial topic of Ryan Porteous to Rangers. Um, and this might not even be the most controversial part of this conversation that we're about to have. Um, Ross, it was it came out yesterday, I think was the first time I saw it, maybe Monday, um, that potentially Rangers are interested in signing Ryan Porteous either on a pre-contract to arrive in the summer or for a nominal fee in January, um, because I think Hibs are trying to recoup any money they can possibly get for him when it comes to um, when it comes to this January. I think it's fair to say he's a player that we've all disliked at, at one stage or another in games against Hibs. Maybe 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 everyone's disliked him in in every game we've played against Hibs. Now the question comes. If if we sign him, are you happy or are you not happy? I'm honestly on the fence with this one, with Ryan Porteous. I think there's positives, but I think there's glaring negatives about the signing. I think the relationship that Rangers fans have with Ryan Porteous is not a great start. I think he has a lot of baggage that's on the field and off the field, to be honest with you. He's been involved in a few things that are just not great for him as a person. And yeah, I can't really subscribe to how he how he is in that kind of on-field antics sometimes and kind of playing up to the the kind of hard man approach. It's just not something for me. I'd rather a guy in my team was going and delivering and, and not just getting involved in stupid scraps in the pitch or diving and things like that. So there's a lot of Ryan Portis I don't like, but there's actually a lot of the deal that I can understand. You know, he, he is only, I think he's only 23. You know, he's got a lot of experience for Hibs now. I think he. I think he's a player that he's a good SPFL level defender, right? Now we can all have our opinion on Ryan Porteous as a person and our dislike for him, but you have to be honest and say he is a good SPFL level defender. He's just broken into the, the Scottish international side as well, so I can understand that it's a profile of player that the club are looking at. Um, it's obviously very similar to John Suter, so I think that I can see value in it. I really can. If it's a low fee pre-contract. He has good potential. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I just think the problem is that the the perception of Rangers fans have of him, it's going to be very, very difficult to turn that around. And of course, that's a that's a massive part of signing a football player. You know, it is about his character, it is about his personality, and that has to come into it. They're very, very important factors. But if you could take that out for two seconds and just think about the player himself, the value of the player, the potential of the player. It kind of it does make sense, and it's something I read a couple of weeks ago, and I think I was the same as you. I didn't really buy into the rumor at the time, and I know that the the rumors all came from Jim Duffy last night, I believe. On I think it was Clyde Super Scoreboard, right? So the reason why it's getting more um, credit today is because he's obviously a man that's in the footballing world. He'll have links to agents and things, so. He's clearly been given that information from someone. Whether that turns out to be true, it could just be his agent trying to jump things up, which is totally normal because John Suter was the same last January, if you remember as well. He was linked with so many championship clubs and then we ended up signing him. 
So it's probably tried to push us along in that. So listen, I can see both sides of view, uh, both points of view. Sorry, I'm not convinced it's actually true. Honestly, I'm not. But in terms of value, I, I can get on board a wee bit. It's something I think it would have it would be difficult to accept as a Rangers fan. But I can understand the model that the club are going down that kind of recruitment policy. But listen, I know this will split opinion. I know I've, I can already see people in the comments disagreeing with me, and that's fine. Um, I can honestly see both points of view, so I'm not dead set on either. I can just, yeah, both sides. What do you think? Um, well, before we go into what I think, your uh, friendship with teddy bears lasted a whole 30 seconds because he now no longer agrees with you. So um, so that's that one done. Uh, in terms of what I think of Ryan Portis, I very much agree with you on the personality, character side of things. Um what he's done away from the pitch, I don't think can be ignored. And I don't think any club can ignore that, really. I think he's a kind of player that probably needs to go down to the um, to the English Championships. Sorry, I was just completely distracted by one of the comments here. Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> I'm completely, <laughs> completely through me. Um, I think from a, a character perspective, he's kind of something that we are missing in our team. On the pitch, now I'm not saying the whole diving about and throwing themselves to the ground and stuff like that, but just someone that's really niggly and really annoying and winds people up and just gets under their skin and is able to is capable of doing a decent job at the same time. I think we are missing someone like that. Um, I don't think for a second he would be a starting centre half for us at Ibrox. I, I, I don't think so, um, unless it's those two or three weeks pre World Cup break where, where I was nearly starting for Rangers at centre half. Um, I don't think he, and if our team is fit, he's not he's not anywhere near Connor Goldson or Ben Davies level. Um, but I think as a backup, I think he would be a positive option. I think he would offer us something different. How would I feel if he signed? Not entirely sure. I think I'd have to. One of those ones you have to judge it on the day kind of thing, but I'm not as wholly against it as I was two weeks ago when we first heard the rumour and I made a joke out of it. I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like potentially you can see the you can see the value. He's 23, he's Scottish, um he's experienced at SPFL level. He's we have to admit he's pretty decent at SPFL level. Um and he would be so we know he would be solid um for us if he was to play there. Um I don't for a second, I think he would, be, he would be a starter in Europe. I don't think that's that's the case at all. I think when you compare him to, and this is where the controversy is potentially going to come. Um, so we had, a, for everyone's, let go behind the curtain. Um, we had a conversation. Actually, before I go into that, Ross, there's a comment come in here from Paul McGarrigal saying, uh, Craig, Rangers, Rangers class, and he doesn't have any. Now, I get that from an off-the-field perspective on, on what he's done. But I wanted to talk about, this is one of the things I wanted to talk about on this subject, is basically people's perception or Rangers fans' perception on current or previous SPFL players who they've deemed to be not good enough. Now, we're talking guys like Josh Doig, we're talking guys like Goes Ferguson, uh, Lyndon Dykes, all guys who really could have done a job for us and have, have shown that they have more potential than they were showing when they were at Livingston, Aberdeen, Hibs, 
already. Um, Josh Doig and Coach Ferguson both doing particularly well in Serie A so far this season. Lyndon Dykes was doing well for QPR. Um, I don't think he'll be in a rush to team up with Michael Beal, mind you, anytime soon going by his Instagram post. But those kind of players where we've been kind of linked with previously, would we, would we take them? And then Rangers fans have been absolutely not. They're not Rangers class. We shouldn't be buying players like that. End of. What's your kind of take on that, Ross? Well, in terms of Rangers class, I can understand the comment. Um, I think it was it Paul that made the comment. I can understand yeah. the kind of when it comes to the off-field stuff. You've obviously touched on that. It's difficult to ignore that, and we shouldn't ignore that. And that would have that would that's something the club would have to take into consideration, of course. And I'm sure they will. As for, I would probably say it's. I wouldn't just just say it's Rangers fans. I would say it's Old Firm fans. I think Old Firm fans look down on the rest of the league now. I can understand that to a point. You know, some of the teams aren't great. Some of the people they play isn't great. But there are good players in our league. And you've seen that from, you know, Serie A teams coming across, mainly Bologna in the last couple of years that have picked up Aaron Hickey and Lewis Ferguson. Uh, Hellas Verona have picked up Josh Doig, who's doing really well. You know, I'm a big, big advocate of buying domestic-based players. I, I don't have any problem with it. It's something I think we should have done more, uh, done more of over the years. I think we've seen... And a lot of people will have a different opinion on this because of his injury record. But Ryan Jack's been an absolutely fantastic signing for Rangers, like really good. The the progression in him as well. When we got him, he was he was kind of a deep six, didn't really move, and Gerard turned him into a basically a number eight, box to box. So we've got a lot out of it. Ryan Jack, uh, Ryan Jack, Ryan Jack. So I'd like to see the club. <laughs> I know I throw myself off there. I'd like to see the club sign more domestic plays players. I actually remember like four or five years ago and, I, and it was unrealistic at the time, but I was dying for Rangers to sign John McGinn because I'd, I'd seen him so many times in the league that I was like, this boy is re- really good, really special. The amount of times he came to Ibrox like two or three times and, and dominated us, really. I think he scored a screaming at Ibrox one day as well and you were just like this. I was like, this guy's this guy's really good. He's going. He's definitely, he's either going to Celtic or he's going to the top and of course we know John McGinn's background. He was probably, it was one of them. He wasn't going to come to us, but it was a it was a club. Uh, sorry, <laughs> pull me off there. Teddy bear. It was. It was a sign that I wanted to make. Josh Doig was another one for me. Lewis Ferguson was a wee bit. I was a wee bit indifferent last summer with Lewis Ferguson. I, did, I wasn't really sure I could understand it, but I think Aberdeen would have was a charged as an absolute fortune for him, so I can understand. Yeah. But Josh Doig was one I really thought the club could have done, especially after fifty-five. You could have moved Barisic on again. You need a buyer. Understand that. But it looked like there was interest, and Josh Doig would have fit the profile that we we're trying to bring in this club. So, in terms of your question overall, yeah, I, I, I think the, I think the club look at domestic players. I think we've seen that now with John Suter and things like that. The club are starting to, to dip into the market, and as they should. I think as fans, we need to realise that. Sorry, Ross. I think yeah, Ross Wilson actually yeah. said yesterday as well that actually one of the reasons we signed John Suter is like we went in with our eyes wide open. We knew we knew of his injury yeah. history, but the fact he, he was doing well for Hearts and he's Scottish. I think the fact he's yeah. Scottish actually played much more into his signing than any of us thought. It would. I don't, don't think any of us actually considered the fact that he's Scottish. He should have even played, um, should have even played into the fact, but he clearly does. And I think that's one of the benefits of signing someone like Ryan Porteous um, on a free, age 23, lots of potential, could improve a lot. But I think it's whether the court of public opinion um, rules against them on that one, because I, I, I think 
if he if a player starts off on a bad foot when they arrive at Rangers, then it's difficult to it's difficult it's, for that to turn around. There's a couple of things. There's maybe the first point I'd like to me is there's maybe we maybe need to understand more that when you bring a player in, he doesn't necessarily have to be a first eleven player. You know, you can bring guys in from the league, domestic players, and they can be I was going to say squad fillers, that's maybe, you probably don't want squad fillers, but you want guys that are coming in to provide competition and potentially break into the team. The majority of times that Rangers do business domestic-based, it is low fees. You know, we're not going to go and break the bank. We've clearly seen that now. I think they'll, I think I think Celtic broke the bank for David Turnbull, but you're not going to see that really a lot. But like Rangers and Celtic aren't going to pay big fees for domestic-based players. So, you know, that that's the... Yeah, I think there's... I think we just need to be a wee bit more accepting that there is talent in our league. You know, we should look to bring these guys in where it's appropriate. Don't bring in everyone. I'm not a big fan of when a player plays against Rangers. It's just like, oh, bring him in. He's great. You know, Joel Nubley is the perfect example of that for Livingston. He's had two great games against us this season, but he's not been great out with that. I think he scored three goals. So, like, it's not it's not the profile player I'd like to bring in. You're better to look at these players, what they do, outside of playing Celtic and Rangers, you're better to look at them that way and see what they do against the rest of the league. Don't compare them against when they play the old firm. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think uh, we just need to be more accepting of domestic-based talent. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, right. One final point on um, the Ryan Porteous discussion, and it's one that I think raged on in the TII group chat for about four hours um, going by, and I I think there's a few wind-ups going on in there as well, but Ryan Porteous or the potential signing of Ryan Porteous was viewed by some other podcasters that it would block the um, the route to the first team for Leon King and that they would much rather, rather that Leon King had that route to the first team and had that development opportunity within the first team than to sign Ryan Porteous. Now, there's a question over is Leon King even close to the level we need him to be to play and succeed for Rangers at SPFL level. I would I would has I would put forward the case that he's not. I think off the top of my head, the Livingston game at Ibrooks, he was bullied by Joel Nubley, like he you just mentioned. I think he was bullied most of the game by Joel Nubley. Um and I think in the game against St Mirren just before the break, he was absolutely dominated the full game and his his error leading to the goal was just part of part of that um of what was a poor performance now we're not even going to talk about the champions league performances we've seen from leon king because we i do accept that that's that was up a level for all the team not just a young 18 year old that's just making his way in the game and coming into the team do you think that we should give leon king the space to develop or do you think actually ryan porteous would be a better option currently and potentially put Leon King on loan or do you think that actually Leon King has the potential at all to make it at Rangers? So the 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 last question there, do I think Leon King's got the potential to see the Rangers? Absolutely. I've seen enough from an 18-year-old that I believe that he can develop. What I will say is he's, he's kind of been thrown into the deep end lately and I just don't think that's the way to develop a player, especially an 18-year-old. You need to ease them in needed to be phased into first-team football. And that's not his fault, and it's not Van Bronckhorst's fault because he didn't have any other options. So these are exceptional circumstances. He's probably been a wee bit unlucky. But I have seen enough from Leon King to really think he will be a good defender, strong in the tackle, 
good range of passing, quick across the ground. There's there's enough there that I think Leon King will develop for Rangers and he'll be a really good player. And yeah, we have to caveat all of this saying he is only 18, right? I think you're right though in a lot of what you said. I think I think we've seen that he's probably not ready yet. And I think we've had this discussion for a while that we wanted to see more of Leon King before he's actually got this opportunity. And this is it probably shows why he's not been given the opportunity yet and he's being eased in because he, he just doesn't look ready for me. Now, I'm not, I don't want to criticize him too much because, you know, he is only 18. So I can understand, I can understand your view on it that, that he's maybe, I don't know. It's a difficult one for me. I'm actually trying to think here because I don't, I don't think the signing of Ryan Portis, for example, would block Leon King's pathway. I think you're going to have, uh, Philip Hollander moving out this summer. So there's going to be a space in there. And I think the best way for Leon King to develop is to be essentially a backup option. Someone that comes in, plays cup games, someone that comes in and plays at home at Ibrox when potentially going to dominate all the ball. These are the kind of games I want to see Leon King in and, and phase him in. I, ju- I just think, yeah, he's probably been thrown in too early. As for as for whether he'll make it, no, I, I, I think he'll make it at Rangers. I think he's got enough. He's shown enough. I'm curious if you if you do you do you believe that? Do you do you not think he's got enough? I am seriously questioning whether he has enough. I think I was willing to let the Champions League game slide. Um I think that was I think we all saw how much the team as a whole struggled in that, not only Leon King, I was willing to let that slide. I am struggling to let performances against Livingston, Ibrooks, struggling to get let the St. Mirren game the St Johnston game, I'm struggling. These are games that if you're going to make it as a Rangers defender and as a, as a, I admit he's a young player that needs to make mistakes, but if you're going to make it as a Rangers defender, you need to be able to handle these teams with relative ease for the vast majority of the game. And th- these teams have offered him nothing but trouble. He's been turned inside out much more than I've seen almost any Rangers defender turned inside out by SPFL strikers. And that's a real concern for me. Now, I think he, on the positive side, I do think he does learn. I think you can see in games when he gets in certain situations, he does learn. He maybe takes that wee step back. He maybe turns his body a little, he, but he does learn. Um, and that's that's a positive. I don't doubt for a second that, we'll, that Rangers will give him time. I don't doubt for a second that he will be given every opportunity he can possibly have to succeed. I'm just not convinced he will. Here's a here's a quick point though on it because your 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 points are fair there. I can understand where you're coming from. How much do you think the loss of Connor Goldson plays in this? Do you think that you see a much more comfortable Leon King if he has Connor Goldson next to him on that right hand side and he can talk him through every single game? I think I've spoke about this in a podcast before where Walter Smith was talking about um, Wilson's move to, to Liverpool and and he was saying that basically they, they don't realise that you know they're, they're only getting half the player because David Weir was basically talking them through games and that's something that we probably don't put enough emphasis on, that that, that partnership at centre-back is probably the, one of the most important in the park and I just don't think he's really had a support network there lately. Of course, the team... The, the poor form of the team doesn't help, and throwing an eighteen-year-old into that is just is a is a is a recipe for disaster. To be honest with you, what what do you think, Jim? That would have made a difference. I think Connor Golson could talk me and you through an SPFL game, and we'd be all right. 
Um, Probably. I think Connor Goldson is absolutely class, and now he would be the first name on the team sheet for me every single week. Um, yeah, totally I was, agree. I was delighted when he signed a new contract, and I think almost as soon as he got injured against Liverpool, you saw not only in that game but in the subsequent games as well, you saw how big a miss he was for us. Um, so I think Connor Goldson could talk anyone through a game, and I do take your point on Danny Wilson and David Weir and that relationship. I think a Rangers defender needs to be able to defend without Connor Goldson beside them. To be honest, they need to be able to have the have the nous and have the talent and have the have the ability to defend no matter who is beside them. Now I think we see that with Ben Davies. I think he he came in, I can't remember who was against was it against St Johnston Ibrooks, can't remember. He came in, he'd been out for th- four weeks, five weeks, highly trained was forced to start, I think that was the weekend after Conor Goldson got injured, um, forced to start, and he looked like an absolute Rolls Royce from from minute one through to, I think he came off in 65 or 70 minutes. And that's what you need from the defenders. That's I, I get, like I said, I, I get fully that Leon King is, is in his development stage and he's learning the game and he's been playing in the B team or for the under-19s and he's not really played adult football for a phrase that I don't really like to use, but um I think he needs to he really needs to start showing what he's what he's all about. He's, he's had a lot of plaudits and a lot of praises. He's came through the age groups. Um he's obviously had the interest, the reported interest from Manchester United and teams like that down south. I think he's good on the ball. I think he's hesitant when the ball's in the air. I don't think he wins the ball often enough when it's in the air against SPFL strikers, which is really should be your bread and butter in games like that. And I don't I'm not wholly confident in his ability to to position himself and time a tackle properly. He's 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 won a few last ditch tackles, but he's been making them at the halfway line, which is not where you want to be making a last ditch tackle. Um, and those are the things that concern me about his game. I think the best part of his game is when he's on the ball um, and the ball's at his feet, but we need much more than that. Yeah, I, I, listen, I can understand a lot of your concerns with Leon King. I just I, I just view it slightly differently that I, I, can see pro- I can see slow progression with him. There was a few times where he played in games, I think you've highlighted this, that he was getting tight to players and they were kind of spinning him. And I think that just comes down to a kind of physicality thing that he's not really played at this level yet. And he's not really used to, to having someone that really can match him at that, at that physicality level. So, listen, I, I can I can see your points. For me, I think Leon King will be fine. He's only 18. Um, I'd like to think that in a year from now, this will really have helped his development and we'll see a much better player. Um, and I'd like to think that the experienced defenders coming back can really help him. So... I've got no concerns with Leon King. Personally, anyway, I've got no concerns. I think he'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a wait and see one. We can go around in circles all day on this one, but it's about my wait and see and see how he develops. I, I'm not sure if we are seeing players come back. And obviously, Conor Goldson was expected to be back just after the break. Ben Davies the same. Um, I'm not sure we'll see much more of Leon King this season outside of, um, outside of a few cup appearances, potentially. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's a wait and see one, and I don't think it'll be answered this season either, if I'm being honest. But I, 
I do have concerns, which um, I'm getting a lot of stick for in the comments, which is uh, which is good to see. Um, just to close us off, because I realise we're an hour and five minutes into this one, it's kind of gotten away from us time-wise. Um, just looking at Paul McGarrigal's comment, just on a couple of other rumours that have been going about um, sort of today and the last couple of days. Um, it's good to see some rumours. I'm always a bit wary about rumours of Rangers signing players because we've been so good at keeping them quiet until the day before we actually sign them um, at the very earliest. So I'm always a bit wary about rumours. I think um, Nicholas Raskin was one, obviously, that was touted a lot in the summer. I think it, Standard Wage wanted £7 million for him at that stage. He's out of contract this summer. Unsurprisingly, I guess he's... Um, he's warranting a lot of interest from people in different clubs across Europe. Part of me wonders if this is, again, his agent just floating out there. Um, I'm always suspicious of when when lots of when players are linked with lots of clubs. Um, so I, I, I do wonder if it's his agent floating out there. But going from the rumour in the summer, if I remember correctly, Ross, he was a guy you actually quite liked to look up. Is that right? Yeah, I thought Raskin was probably someone that we should have tried to add. I think it came down to whether we could sell Glenn Kamara or not. And it looked like we not. I think it was it was based on that, to be honest. If we moved Glenn Kamara out the door for eight, nine million, Raskin was going to be the one that came in. I can understand the club's point of view on this one. Seven million is a lot for a guy that's in the last year of his contract. And I would imagine they've let that contract run down now and they'll probably go back in for him in January or they'll try and agree terms. The problem you've got is when you do that, um, you're not going to be the only club in for him. And I know that the Belgian market at the moment is massive and most clubs look at that league for talent. So I would imagine he's going to have offers outside of us now. So we're going to have to really battle for his signature. So he's someone I like the look of. Definitely someone I think they could add something to our squad. As for the, um, I think it's uh, Ahmad Ginducci, I think is yep. the, the Algerian linked. Um, if I got that right, I've got noted here he's a uh, 23 central, midfiel- central midfielder again. I think we've seen our own Patrick Kasky talking about him, saying he can either play as an eight or a number 10. So again, that's a that's a profile player that we should be looking at. So that's good to see. I know he's been good form in the Algerian league this year. So again, this is good to see that the recruitment team are actually broadening out in, in terms of where they, they look for players. This is really encouraging. So I, I would be sitting here lying if I said I knew everything about them. I don't, but again, it matches the profile, but I think the club should be looking at. And I think the last one was was Josh Onima from Fulham. Yeah. Again, 25-year-old, can play as either a central midfielder or a, or a number 10. I know he was, I've actually, I've not really followed him the last couple of years um, I know he was really highly rated when he was at Spurs because I remember people talking about him a lot. Looks like he's maybe fell off at a wee bit of Fulham. He's, I think he's only played twice this season. So, listen, I think that the Josh Onoma one's very interesting because I think that's a market that we're going to just look at straight away in January. I can imagine we're going to get linked with a lot of championship players because Michael Beale has just got an extensive amount of knowledge for that league, right? So that's somewhere I think we're going to look at. And I know I see a lot of criticism all the time, like, oh, I don't want Rangers to just be looking at championship-level players or guys in the Premier League. We need to branch out. That's totally fair. But there is value in that market. Like, if you can pick up guys, especially young English guys, you can bring them up here, develop them, contribute for us. You can sell them for a fortune back down south. And, it's a and that's Bassey effect, doesn't it? It's a Calvin Bassey effect. Exactly. And, that, and that's obviously, that's a bit of an exception, Calvin Bassey. Of course, you're not always going to get the profit like that. That's 
a bit ridiculous how much money we made in Calvin Bassett, but there is always the potential with English-based players that you can make something of them because they'll be on once they've played in England, they're on most of their radars in terms of where they move and they, they look to bring them back if they need to. So it's definitely a market I think we should look at, and it, I think it's a market that we will look at because of Michael Beale's uh, experience down there. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're at one hour ten minutes for the podcast. I think that's plenty of, of our voices and, and our thoughts for this evening. Um, all it's left for me to do is to thank you very much, Ross, for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. I was thinking oh, I'll go watch the World Cup game, but there's nothing on. So I just I'll just have a go sat about and do nothing. All right, innit? it's weird. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Go watch Brazil's first half on iPlayer or whatever it's Yeah, I watch um, it back. Yeah, that was um, yeah. that was top class. Um, but thanks very much, everyone, for listening as well. That's been the Wednesday night podcast from TII, looking back at the AGM and looking at a couple of potential transfer rumours as well. The guys are back on Sunday. Might be back on Saturday after the Leverkusen friendly. That's up in the air at the moment as to how many people are actually going to go to the Leverkusen friendly, but. Hopefully we'll have a post-match podcast for you on that one. And then it'll be on to Sunday, um, looking ahead to Hibs and all that that entails next week as we Rangers return to league action after a long, long time. Although it's been kind of filled, I guess, with, with World Cup and it didn't necessarily come at the worst possible time for Rangers either. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe to TII YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications and you'll you'll get a wee email every single time that we go live or we schedule a video to go live as well. Um, and yeah, please remember to like us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. Until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.